Proceed with caution as we await phase three. There's a lot we can do, but we have to be careful. An encouraging update on COVID infections, even as pandemic fatigue sets in. House fire homicide. Further investigation led us to the discovery of two additional bodies inside the home. The disturbing mystery of how it started. Attention, this is the Vancouver Police Department. And breaking up the viaduct demonstration. Our officers did ask them if they would leave the area. Black Lives Matter! The arrests that followed a weekend of disruption. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Health officials are revealing three days worth of COVID-19 numbers today and the news is very promising for BC. We have just 36 new cases over the last three days, which brings our total to 2,745. And there are no new deaths, so that number stays at 168. Keith Baldry now has more on what that good news means when it comes to further easing our restrictions in this province. We are slowly easing restrictions that are safe to lessen and keeping measures in place to contain further spread. BC is slowly but surely getting to the point where more things can open up, but we're not there just yet. We know as more of us go to work, go to school, um, gather, um, the risk increases that someone will inadvertently bring the virus into our group, and we have seen that happen. The COVID-19 numbers for this province continue to be encouraging. As hospitalizations and ICU cases continue to stabilize, the recovered cases grow in number and active cases remain low. The stage is slowly being set for things like being able to travel the province this summer, albeit in a different and more careful way. We'll be looking at um, transitioning around travel, around um, safe travel within BC. We want people to be to experience BC, to travel within BC, but to do it in a way that doesn't put undue burden on the place that you're going. But there remain areas of concern, such as the Holy Family Long-Term Care Ward in southeast Vancouver, where more than a dozen residents have tested positive for the virus. Right now, the investigation continues. We're making sure that everybody is being assessed. In this case, it's become apparent that there have been a number of residents, and uh, we know that, as well as other staff who have been affected as well. One of the most frequently asked questions remains when access to long-term care homes will be granted to residents' families. The answer is not soon. We have to accept that if the more people that we allow into long-term care homes, the risk, again, goes up that somebody will inadvertently introduce the virus into that care setting. All right, the numbers are encouraging in B.C., but Keith Baldry joins us now uh, with some information, Keith, that that's not the case around us, and we need to keep an eye on that, right? Yes, B.C. is very much have, have our own type of pandemic. Our numbers are not like a lot of other places. I mean, around the world, Brazil, uh, the United States, India and Russia are just skyrocketing. And many American states are as well. But look at what's happening with our neighbors, both to the south and to the east. Washington state, the latest number continues to be troubling. 324 new cases in Washington state today with four deaths. In Alberta, 386 active cases compared to our, one, our 182. Edmonton, which really had no COVID for a long time, uh, active cases 
cases there have gone from 58 to 149 in just three weeks. And if you just want to go on the Internet and check out what's happening in the United States, Chris, uh, the number of cases are just skyrocketing in so many jurisdictions around the world. B.C. very much remains sort of this oasis of calm when it comes to fighting COVID-19. But as Dr. Barney Henry points out daily at these news conferences, that can get away from us very quickly, which is why we're slowly coming out of phase two and into phase three. And that's going to happen soon, but she won't quite name a date on that yet. But we'll be talking to her again tomorrow, obviously, at her daily briefing with, uh, with uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix. All right. We're all eagerly anticipating it for sure. <laughs> Thanks very much, Keith. Right. Now, some troubling new information on Canadian attitudes about COVID-19, just as B.C. health officials consider further opening up the province. An Angus Reid survey finds Canadians are less strict now about following safety protocols, especially among young people. Aaron MacArthur has the numbers. It doesn't quite look normal. Fewer people out, a lot of masks on, but it is busier. According to a new poll conducted by Angus Reid, people are starting to slip. We're noting just a really distinct level of fatigue. The numbers showing a public fed up with isolation. Just 36% of people polled still maintaining isolation as rigorously as they were earlier in the pandemic. Whether it's washing our hands for the full 20 seconds or whether it's uh, it's remembering to keep that distance, people are... are are starting to, to let things slide just a little bit. Reopening too quickly or too broadly can have devastating consequences. More than 20 U.S. states are now seeing surges in caseloads, including California, which is seeing more than 3,600 every day. This is all coming at a crucial time in B.C. The public health officer contemplating a step up in the reopening plan. We have not let the easing of restrictions allow us to think that the hard work is behind us because it most certainly is not. While health officers are being cautious, the public less so. The Angus Reid poll says people's concern about catching COVID has dropped dramatically. And 51% of Canadians think the worst of the pandemic is behind us. The age group most difficult to reach, 18 to 34 year olds. It is easy sometimes when we are in this place that we're in to lose sight of the fact that this pandemic is far from over. Returning to normal has been the question on so many people's minds, but any return to normal is much farther away than many might be willing to wait for. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The Trudeau government is putting together a plan to extend one of the key COVID-19 benefits ahead of a parliamentary showdown on Wednesday. Early today, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh said his party's support for a vote on a key spending bill was contingent on the government extending the CERB benefit program. We believe that there, there needs to be an extension of CERB, that it's not acceptable for millions of Canadians to not know what's going to happen, and we want to find a way forward. But even with economy reopening, we know there are many jobs that aren't going to be coming back in the short term, and that's why uh, we are looking at uh, continuing to help people who are on the CERB who can't find a job. The $2,000 per month benefit was set to run only for 16 weeks, and it's due to max out very soon for millions of Canadians. Last week, the parliamentary budget officer said extending the maximum number of weeks to 28 and extending the program through to January 2021 would cost nearly $58 billion. 
Well, starting today, if you are taking a BC ferry, you have to bring your own face mask. The new measures apply to any sailing that's 30 minutes or longer. New Transport Canada rules say anyone over the age of two must have a face covering and be ready to wear it when physical distancing cannot be maintained. Customers will be asked if they have one prior to boarding. It must be a covering with straps or elastics that go around your ears. If you don't have one, you won't be allowed on board, and BC Ferry says it will not be providing any masks. Despite explicit instructions from Dr. Bonnie Henry that nightclubs won't be reopening until phase four, a number of those clubs are getting ready to get back in business anyway. They argue that with COVID precautions in place, they can safely operate under phase two rules. Brad McLeod reports. We've had uh, people say anything from you guys deserve to hang yourselves to idiots of the year. Nanaimo nightclub owner Sebastian Barkovic bombarded after announcing he will open concept this weekend. Other local businesses bit into me saying they won't reopen if I'm reopened. But nightclubs are clearly part of phase four, the last of the allowed openings. I got a call from two officials, one at the liquor uh, branch and one at Viha. Uh, both of them said uh, that I was good to open. I just had to read the eight-page document. Barkovic says he's reducing capacity from 200 to just 50 people in the club and says dancing will be kept close to the tables being built on the dance floor. So can he do this? Henry's expression says... Sort of. Nightclubs themselves are not open and they are still uh, closed, but some have been looking at repurposing um, to meet the, uh, the, the, the guidance that we have for restaurants and events. It seems if a club becomes more of a pub and follows the latest safety rules set out last week, nightclubs can open their doors. It's virtually impossible to stop people from dancing. Jerry Hong was one of the first to open up his live venue. Again, limiting dancing to tableside and a couple taped off areas. So we're actually making the rules as we go along and others are following us on Music BC's ask for our safety plan as well. At the Queen's plexiglass spit guards to protect the band and the audience. I've never been the focus of the mob before. Instead of the hate he's been hearing, Barkovic says other clubs can follow his lead. We're complying well within what we've been told we're allowed to do. Saying he does want to get back to opening up the dance floor in two weeks if he can get the go-ahead and the guidelines. Brad McLeod, Global News. Seven people were arrested when police moved in this morning to clear an anti-racism protest on the Georgia and Dunsmuir viaducts. The protesters had been there since Saturday. And as Sarah McDonald reports, there's a great deal of history behind the choice of the viaducts as the scene for the demonstration. No justice, no peace, no racist police. Early Monday, dozens of demonstrators disbanded in downtown Vancouver with seven people arrested. If you do not after nearly two days of peaceful protests on public infrastructure with a history steeped in systemic racism. Protesters did take over the east and westbound lanes of Georgia and Dunsmuir viaducts uh, over the course of the entire weekend. The soon to be demolished viaducts, major arteries feeding the downtown core and standing since the 70s, constructed in place of a once thriving hub for Vancouver's black community known as Hogan's Alley. It was erased by the actions of the city. At one point, it had 
800 people in its church, on its church road. The viaducts um, are a monument that needs to come down, and it's a monument to the oppression and the displacement of the black community. Those here not talking to the media, though the Vancouver chapter of Black Lives Matter vocalized support on social media, calling for the redistribution of funding allotted to conventional policing, standing against societal systemic racism and in solidarity with occupants here. I say shame on VPD and let's talk. The deadline to clear this homeless encampment at Crab Park coming and going over the weekend. The B.C. Supreme Court ruling in favour of the Port of Vancouver last week with an injunction that's still yet to be enforced. The courts have decided that um, homeless people have less rights than a commercial empty parking lot. The city of Vancouver recognizing in a statement it could do more to address systemic racism, acknowledging plans to do so with equity initiatives addressing racialized communities, including hosting a town hall in the coming weeks. All of those arrested have since been released, now facing charges of mischief and intimidation. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A deadly house fire becomes a crime scene. The evidence that indicates foul play and what investigators say about the risk to the public in just over a minute. Heavy rain and runoff create a big job for BC road repair crews. Where this washout happened and what it'll, it'll take to fix it, coming up on the news hour. And it could take weeks for Calgary to clean up after an epic hailstorm damaged thousands of homes. The massive damage estimate coming up later. Right now, though, police say a weekend inferno at a house in Langley could be the scene of a triple homicide. Investigators expect to spend the rest of the week at the charred home where three bodies were found on Saturday. Grace Key is live in Langley with more on what we know about a man who was taken out of the home after the fire. Grace. Well, police did tell us that that person was uh, questioned and released, but they didn't release any other details about that individual. Meanwhile, here at the scene behind me, police are just uh, starting to pull out and it looks like they've wrapped up their investigation for the day. The final two bodies were pulled out of a Langley home that went up in flames on Saturday. Soon, police will know if they are possibly looking at three homicides. And the person who may have some of the answers is a man who was rescued from the second level of the house. He was in the home. He's okay. He's fine. Uh, we've spoken to him. We've been able to ascertain uh, quite a bit of information. Um, but the investigation continues. The fire started around 5.30 Saturday evening on Wakefield Drive near 197th Street. Police found a man's body in the backyard. They say he is a resident and his injuries indicate he was murdered. Two other bodies were found inside the home. They have not been identified yet. The next-door neighbour was bathing her children when the fire started. And then my husband came running in from behind, like the back door, saying the house was on fire. The neighbor's house was on fire and, like, the sky went black, um, the smoke just started billowing in. When he came in through the back door, I just ran to the bathroom, grabbed my kids, we ran outside. Neighbours say a couple rented the home, that they were ideal renters and there were never any problems. Police were asked if this was possibly a random attack and if the public was at risk. At this point, given the limited information that I do have, the truth will answer. That, I'm, that I can give to you, give to the community, is that I just don't know. But I'm hoping that uh, I will have that answer for you soon.
So investigators weren't actually to, able to go inside the home today because of safety concerns, but they did have their drone up in the sky. They'll need a structural assessment before it's deemed safe to enter. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Grace Key and Langley. A North Okanagan family says a thief stole $40,000 worth of tools, bikes, and a boat from their shop in a weekend heist caught on video. A surveillance camera captured a man in a white Ford flatbed pickup truck outside their home in Coldstream around 1 a.m. Sunday. The suspect allegedly broke into the shop and loaded up four electric fat bikes and some power tools. Less than two hours later, the same man returned. And he didn't seem to be in a hurry. The suspect spent half an hour loading dirt bikes onto the flat deck and hitching a custom jet boat on an orange trailer before driving off. It looked like at first he was only going in for a couple of things, and it looked like he got more and more comfortable over time that he was there. Definitely quite a few eating that it was uh, right under our noses for sure. The slow-moving suspect was wearing a black ski mask with a headlamp, blue jeans, and a black jacket. The stolen items include demo bikes Webster used for his business, and he's hoping that they will eventually be returned. Up ahead, a report card for reopened schools. And I think we're learning some really important things that will help us prepare uh, through the summer and into the fall. What parents should know since sending the kids back. And if you are planning a domestic vacation this summer, is it safer to drive or to fly? Here's what's left of a five-car crash southbound at the Alex Fraser Bridge. One vehicle on the right shoulder with a police cruiser on scene. And after some earlier lane closures, volume has pretty much recovered heading south. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts. For insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home, just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Trans Mountain has its pipeline up and running again less than two days after a spill of as much as 190,000 litres of light crude in Abbotsford. The company says the spill was contained to its land and has been cleaned up. But as Ted Chernecki reports, that's not easing concerns over the potential lingering environmental damage. The Trans Mountain Pipeline is running again and the spill is contained, but just what that means is still unclear. Today, we are working on uh, some of the soil in the area that needs to be removed. Um, all of that product gets taken away and disposed of. As spills go, this one was what environmentalists call big, the equivalent of five to seven full tanker trucks, 150 to 190,000 liters is the company's rough estimate. You know, everybody's really, really nervous about what this could mean for the aquifer, uh, the people in Abbotsford and their drinking water and, and the local ecosystems that, uh, that rely on it. Very close to this spill, there's a plaque at a rest stop on the Trans-Canada Highway. It describes the history of Sumas Lake, a large, shallow body of water that was drained in the 1920s without any consultation with First Nations. The white immigrants that came in, the goal of why they came was to set themselves up on their own farm uh, and to run it as a family farm. Today, various canals channel that water out of the region, but there rests below the surface a large aquifer, used in some cases for drinking water, that is now at risk of contamination. The hydrology there is essentially a lake bed, and it's very easy for the contaminants uh, that spilled out onto the land there to end up in the groundwater. The big threat is the cumulative effects 
Um, this is the fourth spill in the last 15 years. Trans Mountain says the spill involved light crude and not the much heavier bitumen that can sink in water and is especially difficult to clean up. Trans Mountain has uh, water monitoring stations in the area. We have around 20, but the initial results we have from them uh, have no indication that there's any risk to the groundwater at this point. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, it's been two weeks since B.C. schools reopened for optional part-time learning during the COVID crisis. The province says about 30% of K-12 students went back to the classroom in the first week. And while it's been smooth sailing so far, as Richard Zussman reports, that could change come September. One person would be at each table. Yep. It's been two weeks since thousands of kids went back to class and schools are passing with flying colours. I think it's going as well as it could be expected. Kids, parents, teachers and staff still adjusting to a new way of learning. But so far, after one full COVID-19 incubation cycle, not one case of the virus has been linked to the school system. And we have had no cases associated with schools yet in the province. It could happen, but so far everything has been uh, really great. 16 people under the age of 19 have tested positive for COVID in BC since June 1st, but none in the schools. About 35% of students, kindergarten to grade 5, returned in-class instruction when doors opened on June 1st, while only 16% of grade 6 to grade 12 students have gone back. We are hearing that, you know, the one day a week uh, for secondary students is uh, just not enough to meet the needs. It also seems to not really be enough to motivate students to want to go in one day a week. School's starting to feel a little bit more normal. The playgrounds are back open, although those desks are still physically distanced. But one of the challenges for teachers will be what happens in a hybrid system in September and how teachers will balance the workload between both in-class and virtual learning. What teachers are currently doing is really not sustainable. And so we'll have to take a look at what are some uh, models that can be implemented in September that makes um, that works for works better. The BC Teachers Union has presented the province with a proposal on what hybrid schooling could look like in the fall. You know, teachers are kind of hanging on by a thread right now until the end of June, and they need to be able to look forward to September, um, somewhat you know, with with better planning. But time's running out. Teachers looking towards summer breaks with the bell set to ring on the school year at the end of June. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Up next, weather causes major problems in B.C. and a massive cleanup in Calgary. After an epic hailstorm, while the damage estimate hits the billion-dollar mark. Also tonight, allegations of excessive force in Ontario and how video evidence was almost deleted. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6 and 980 CKNW, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, presented in partnership with BCLC. With every play, you're making... Traffic is in good shape both ways over here at the Massey Tunnel with two lanes in both directions and recently cleared a police incident not too far away at Steveston Highway and Shell Road. Time to renew your car insurance? Call BCAA to easily renew your ICBC auto plan by phone and email and find more ways to save. Visit bcaa.com slash car. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Some roads are flooding and washing out in northern BC after heavy rain hit the Peace Region. 
Several roads are currently closed in the Dawson Creek area of northeastern B.C., including Sweetwater, which is washed out 19 kilometers north of Dawson Creek. The North Peace region was deluged this weekend with up to 90 millimeters of rain in communities near the Rockies. A rainfall warning remains in effect with another 10 millimeters expected tonight. And in Kelowna, rain is reducing the fire risk for now, but the central Okanagan has seen 49 millimeters of precipitation so far in June. That's more than the average for the entire month. More rain is causing heavier flows in Mission Creek and higher water levels. Okanagan Lake is now sitting at 22 centimeters above full pool. It's not really clear with the rain that we've had over the weekend and over the coming wet days how long the lake will stay at this level or if it'll continue to creep up a bit. That reduced the, the rate of snow melt up in the upper reaches and so that really has a, a positive effect on making sure that Mission Creek doesn't exceed its capacity. And we're getting a better understanding of just how much damage was caused by a weekend hailstorm in Calgary. City officials are predicting it could end up being one of the most expensive disasters for insurers in Canada's history. Global's Blake Law reports. The storm came through fast and furious. Hail, some the size of tennis balls, shattering windows and vinyl siding on homes. Looked like big bouncy balls getting dropped from the from a 10-story building or something like that. Storm drains were clogged, the resulting flood water swallowing up entire vehicles. Oh my God. And then he told me, oh, it's, all, it's starting to hail. And I said, oh my God, it's just a normal hail. We have it all the time, right? Hail. And then when it comes like, like a gun, like... Entire neighborhoods in northeast Calgary now cleaning up in streets that look like war zones. You drive down every street and there are shattered windows and pieces of siding missing out of houses and it's it's tragic that's a new car 2019 pathfinder oh my god it's not even a year since we bought it any vehicle outside during the storm likely a write-off including more than 40 calgary police cruisers we are really in a place where the damage is extraordinary. Mayor Nahed Nenshi, whose home in the Northeast was also damaged, estimates the storm has impacted more homes than the infamous flood of 2013. The city is frantically working to assess exactly how bad it really is and make sure social supports are in place for those making insurance claims. It is a disaster and uh, it could be in the hundreds of millions to a billion dollars of claims, or even more uh, that might come of this. Mayor Nenshi has called on the province and the federal government to help out with disaster funding. Remarkably, no one was hurt in the storm. Blake Law, Global News. The family of an elderly black couple who had a violent altercation with two Durham police officers in 2018 has filed for a review of the police investigation that cleared the officers of wrongdoing. Lawyers for the couple say their clients were physically assaulted without provocation outside a hospital in Ajax. Global's Sean O'Shea has the details. Call it luck, call it an act of God, but everything converged together and that's why we're here today. We have systemic racism here. We just do it with a, a different demeanor, a nicer demeanor and with a smile. That's what we do, and then we cover it up. Lawyers say it's a case of police going too far, involving two Durham officers and a black couple in their late 60s outside Lake Ridge Hospital in Ajax in October 2018. Livingston and Pamelia Jeffers went to hospital after Pamelia didn't feel well. 
They spent several hours there, and lawyers say they had a doctor's permission to go home. They did not have a weapon. They were simply trying to leave the hospital. That's when they had this interaction with the constables. Police acknowledged hey, Mr. Jeffers took four to elbow strikes to his head and suffered cuts to his face near his eye. Lawyers for the Jeffers say his wife was also roughed up. Hospital records show a psychiatric assessment requiring her to stay was issued two days after the struggle with police. This is only happening because we have white witnesses. This is only happening because we have a recording. Those two witnesses say police went too far with the couple and by demanding the video they shot. If I'm not going to delete the video in front of them, I'm going to be arrested and charged. They did as they were told, but had emailed the video first. We we're glad that we did send it off and we didn't just listen to them and delete it. Because if we just listened to them, where would we be at this point in time? This injustice, what keeps being played out throughout the communities, really needs to stop. The case was investigated by neighboring York Regional Police, which found no wrongdoing, except that the officers didn't tell Jeffers he had a right to counsel. Jeffers is facing no charges, nor are the officers. The only time it's substantiated, it's going to be somebody's found dead, and there's video recording that, then it'll be substantiated. None of the allegations have been proven in court. Lawyers have filed civil suits against the police and are calling for a meaningful civilian investigation. The fact that George Floyd, the fact that the streets are on fire in North America, the fact that our indigenous chiefs are getting attacked. They say the time is right. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. It turns out taxpayers paid more than $50,000 in police overtime costs for Meghan and Harry to stay in Canada for two months. Documents obtained by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation reveal RCMP spent just over $56,000 on overtime and logistics costs to provide security for Meghan and Harry during their stay in B.C. between November 2019 and January of this year. That number does not include salaries or any overtime costs incurred after January 19th. The Royals spent Christmas in Greater Victoria, but have since reportedly moved to Los Angeles. The province is expanding access to mental health services for youth in BC. Welcome, Foundry. Welcome, Foundry. Eight new Foundry locations were announced for Langley, Surrey, Squamish, Port Hardy, the Comox Valley, Williams Lake, Burns Lake, and Cranbrook. The network provides young people aged 12 to 24 with health and social services, including walk-in counseling. Heightened anxiety and isolation during the pandemic have made the need for mental health services greater than ever. At Foundry, no matter which centre you visit, whether you visit in person or virtually, youth and their families get a sense of community. They get a sense of belonging. They can access services from qualified professionals and, very importantly, they can get the support they need directly from their peers. When young people walk through the doors of Foundry, they know they're at the right place, period. Foundry centres are also being developed in Terrace and Richmond, bringing the total community served to 19. Up next, a young man pushes the limits of human endurance. The incredible courage it took to complete his ultra-marathon and why quitting was never an option. And coming in hot, the brilliant meteor that slammed into the atmosphere over Brazil.
BC teenager who ran an ultra marathon over the weekend to raise money for his local food bank is enjoying some hard earned rest tonight. Darius Sam ran nearly 159 kilometers in just over 24 hours, despite the fact he was hospitalized on the last leg. Linda Aylesworth reports. On Saturday afternoon, 19-year-old Darius Sam set out to raise $14,000 for the Nicola Valley Food Bank by running 160 kilometers in 24 hours through BC's central interior. I'd be lying if I, if I said I wasn't nervous. You know, I've been training pretty hard, so I feel confident. Um, but I know it's going to be tough. How tough, he had no way of knowing. I came through mile 50 and I, I was absolutely uh, exhausted and my brain, you know, my brain kept telling me to, to stop, but, um, you know, pushed through it, pushed forward. Every grueling step of the way, he was surrounded by supporters from his community of merit, walking with him, forming long caravans behind him, and offering encouragement in the form of updates on his GoFundMe page. How much? 29,000. But they couldn't take away his pain. <laughs> Nor could they convince him to stop. What happens, it doesn't matter, man. As long as you know that you give it 100%. I'm not done yet. But at the 145 kilometer mark, he had to take a break at a nearby home. It was supposed to be brief. Charlene's right there. Darius had collapsed. Mind can overrule matter only so long. Just get him in the car to the hospital before the ambulance comes. They caught him in the car and then I just got in the back seat with him and he just kind of uh, had a blank stare. I don't even really know if he knew where we were. But after numerous tests and some serious rehydrating, Darius was back. His dedicated entourage had kept the ultramarathon going. Two kilometers short of the finish line, he rejoined them. What I do remember is, um, you know, coming to a realization that, that you know, I need to finish what I started, regardless of the situation. And so he did. He's raised the awareness of the hungry people and the need to feed them. Never in my life have I ever stood for anything like this. To see people come together like this, it's unbelievable. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Wow. Mm. Incredible. Now, at this hour, Darius's GoFundMe page has registered almost $40,000 in donations. That is way beyond their $14,000 goal. Way to go, Darius. So inspiring. That's incredible, for sure. Okay, let's uh, see what's going on in the weather. Mm -hmm. We've seen some crazy stuff just in the news hour. Um, and let's see what's coming in the forecast with Christy. Yes, it's been an eventful weekend, that's for sure, weather-wise, and a lot of people are down about the weather, so I'm here to give you a little bit of hope uh, and a little bit of perspective as well. So we had a really nice May and a really nice uh, April, in fact. We had pretty great months. Now June is a little iffy, but it's actually pretty seasonal for this time of year. Quick look at the uh, gra graphic showing you the calendar. So on and off rain, certainly this uh, month so far, we're about halfway done, and uh, today certainly had rain as well. Uh, it was 65 percent of normal so we're actually on par for june june can be a wet month nine out of 15 days with rain so that's your perspective everyone but i've got hope for you as well yes the week is looking up in the meantime though we've got the potential for snow can you believe it snow level dropping to 1600 meters tonight so if you're traveling the connector you need to be aware that we could see patchy snowfall and that could be up to about four centimeters more likely less but there is that chance that these pulses of moisture 
certainly could be intense. So the showers that we're seeing here, the potential for snow at night is going to ease off tomorrow morning. Still a few showers and a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow in the interior regions. But for the south coast, this is your hope, everyone. Yes, sunshine by the afternoon and we are going to heat up over the next several days. Lots to look forward to for you sun lovers and those that like the warmth as well. In the meantime, still wet in through the north. We still have that rainfall warning for the overnight period, another 10 millimeters for Fort Nelson, BC Peace River area, southern regions, showers and a risk of thunderstorms by the afternoon. Any showers you see here just in the morning, sunshine by the afternoon, right through until sun, summer. Yes, well, there's a chance of some showers on summer, uh, the first day of summer, but we'll refine that as we get closer. And here's your central windows, weather window, which is a beautiful, calm morning this morning in Boundary Bay. And it isn't that bad to have rain. <laughs> we just don't want it all the time. Not, not for the point. entire month of June, no, so. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. Mm -hmm. A mesmerizing meteor caught on camera soared over the coast of Brazil. The fireball streaked through the sky Sunday night, captured by the Heller and Young Space Observatory. It entered the atmosphere at 100,000 kilometers an hour before breaking up. No word on whether any of it hit the ground. Went out in a blaze of glory. Just like the MLS season. Well, we'll find out if that's ever going to get going again with uh, Squire and a look ahead to sports. Well, they say they're going to have their tournament at Disney World, but Mickey can't come because they'll be in a bubble. Uh, the Whitecaps got to hold a regular practice today because of that tournament coming up for the first time in months. To play real normal football, we've all, the game we all love, so yeah, it was, a, it was a definitely a, a good day. Yeah, this looks so 2019, but it's allowed and the Caps are getting ready to restart the season. Also tonight, looking forward to summer travel. Should you fly or should you drive? All right, Square. Yes. MLS coming back. Well, yes, uh, they're going to have their little tournament next month, and that means the Whitecaps are back. And when they first actually came back to their training facility to work out, they all kind of look like kids with no friends around, kicking soccer balls by themselves. But with the league holding that restart tournament next month in Florida, practice now looks a lot like the practice we saw back in February, with more social and less distancing. Man, it's a, it's a good day. Everybody was excited. Uh, I think guys went out like 20 minutes early today just to get, uh, you know, 5v2 going, just being back on the field with each other and really feeling like, you know, uh, we're, we're back at it. It's a good day. A good day in the first full day of training for the Vancouver Whitecaps. And that's all of the Caps on the entire pitch at the same time. No masks and no social distancing for the players. I feel good, man. You know, I think... Everyone was looking forward to this day, you know, uh, finally being able to play the balls to each other, to play real normal football. We've all, the game we all love. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a definitely a, a good day. Prior to full team training, every player underwent temperature checks and COVID testing procedures. Players and personnel had to pass two previous COVID tests to attend training. From here on out, players will be tested three times a week, all paid for by the Whitecaps organization. It's been a long three months to get to this stage. Uncomfortable, <laughs> uncomfortable to say the least, you know, but it's a small price to, play, to pay in order to, to be back on the field. So I don't think uh, any of the guys like the testing, but um, we know we got to do it right now. The mental side of it is, is what, uh, what was almost the most fatiguing, just 
uh, not being able to see your teammates, not being able to see your friends, not, not being able to be in a team uh, atmosphere, not being able to come to work today uh, or on, on a daily basis. It was, it was tough mentally, and, and I think uh, we, as the Whitecaps, as an organization, did a great job of keeping everybody involved, keeping everybody um, in that team environment, connecting through WhatsApp, connecting through Zoom, every platform we could to, uh, to keep this, uh, this family tight. Major League Baseball says the chances of there being a short season are growing dimmer. The owners and the players cannot agree on how many games they should play and how much money the players should get. And that really is the main thing. This dispute is about money. Last week, Commissioner Rob Manfred said he was 100% sure there would be a season. Now he says he's not so sure. But that could be a negotiating ploy to get the players to alter their position. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor is going to wait until next month before rejoining the PGA Tour. So in the meantime, he'll continue to play the Vancouver Tour, which uh, is now going to be two events for him because he'll play in Chilliwack this week at the Chilliwack Championship. It'll be on Thursday and Friday. He, of course, won at Pebble Beach on the PGA Tour before the season was paused in March. Well, there is a report that Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott has tested positive for COVID-19. The rumor is that he's feeling good. And he's one of a small number of Cowboy players who have tested positive, but none of those players have been at the Cowboys team headquarters. They have been out working out on their own. All right, there you go. Thank you, Squire. Squire. Let's check in with Jada Rant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. J.D.? Thanks very much, Sophie. Surrey Council is meeting tonight to deal with a $42 million deficit caused by the pandemic, but one controversial item is apparently not on the chopping block. Mayor Doug McCallum plans to proceed with the transition from the RCMP to a uh, civic police force. We'll let you know what cuts are being considered. Plus, this is what Vancouver police ended up seizing earlier today after noticing some strange behavior of two suspects who are very well known to them. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. All right. Thanks, Jay. All right. When we come back, our salute to our health care heroes. And if you're planning a summer vacation, should you drive or should you fly? The risks of both next. Well, it's almost time for the 7 o'clock cheer for BC healthcare heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. But before we make some noise, we want to recognize another one of your nominations. Tonight's comes to us from Cheryl Magnuson, and she wanted to salute Andrea Kaiser Claywaite. Andrea has been nursing at West Coast General Hospital in Port Alberni for 12 years. She began her career working in the medical surgery and the emergency departments. Most recently, she's been working in medical in the medical daycare unit where she has been giving Cheryl intravenous immunoglobulin treatments. Nice. Thank you for the past two and a half years. Andrea is married to Tim, who is also a healthcare hero, a licensed practical nurse on the medical surgical unit at West Coast General Hospital as well. And together they have two children, Esme and Ben. Early on in the pandemic, the children lived with their grandparents to lessen the risk of the exposure of exposure to the virus. Obviously a tough situation, but Cheryl says these two caring nurses didn't hesitate to step up for their community. Andrea and Tim, you are Cheryl's healthcare hero and tonight you are the entire province's healthcare heroes. Thank you so much for all you've done to sacrifice people in need. And again, if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Include some details about why they are your hero and a few pictures, and we might feature them next here on the News Hour. 
Well, with more travel potentially opening up this summer, the debate over whether flying or driving is the best choice takes on a new urgency during the pandemic. And as Tom Costello reports, both modes of transportation will require some extra safety measures. To fly or not to fly is the question this summer. Even with airlines disinfecting their planes, road trips seem more popular. I'm really fearful of being in a cabin full of people. Amber Alvarado and her fiancé Edgaris were going to fly from Chicago to California. Now they're planning to drive 10 hours to the Smoky Mountains. We can get uh, a cabin and it's more remote location, so hoping there would be less people going through the area. Because it's easier to limit exposure to others, disease experts generally recommend driving rather than flying. Their advice, pack family meals and snacks. At restroom breaks, wear a mask and wipe down the toilet, the handle and door lock. Sanitize hotel rooms too. And bring hand sanitizer or liquid soap. Infectious disease doctor Payal Patel. Protecting yourself and your family, especially if you have young ones, is totally cool. And so going all the way, washing your hands, protecting your face and your eyes from others is the way to go. Even more precautions if you fly. And that is the fastest I've ever been through a TSA checkpoint. When I flew recently, I wore a mask, goggles over my glasses and gloves and used wipes to disinfect my seat, armrests and tray table. Three weeks later, I'm not sick. In the air or on the road, experts say it's all about taking smart precautions. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. Imagine Chevy Chase and his family during the pandemic on a road trip. <laughs> I, remember, I remember a road trip we did as a family. My father would get up and go to the bathroom every night of his life. As soon as he started driving, he didn't have to go for three states. How did that happen? I know. Family, in the family truckster, am I right, Squire? Uh, all right, last word on weather quickly before we go, Christy. Thanks. So the showers are expected to ease off. A dry day tomorrow, believe it or not. Some cloud in the morning, but sunshine by the afternoon. And don't forget, snow for the connector tonight. Oh, good warning. Thank you. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all.